0: what is the most meaningful thing in the world to you? Or like what project, what thing should we be working on as a human race overall? You know, we've kind of been plopped down on this earth. We popped into existence together. Here we are. Yeah. What's the most meaningful thing we should be doing together?
1: Okay, so I think there's two things here, okay?
0: Hmm.
1: So sometimes they intertwine. It is, it is stopping injustice and removing slash alleviating suffering those are I think the two most important things and the reason why I am so convinced I mean I could be wrong but I'm so convinced these are the two things is because I've experienced both of them and those are the worst experiences that I've had in my life and they were for a you know micro micro minute compared to other people's lives that live injustice that live through suffering daily
0: Hmm.
1: it's horrible and it's not like it's not like we're any different biological biologically so i could have easily been in that this mind could have been born somewhere else So there's someone else that's conscious of their life just like how we're conscious of our life and their life sucks because of injustice and suffering i think the close sec the, the second not close second but the second then which which I won't talk too much about because I do want to talk about injustice and suffering is like knowledge discovery, right? And knowledge creation because the only thing that's different from humans than any other animal is our brain, our intellect. And I think that if that's the thing that's going to separate us apart, we should use it. We should use it. We should create new things. We should think of new things. We should do something with this, right? But I think that we are people that have emotions and feelings and we are connected and there's something really deep and spiritual about people that most people actually unlock when they take psychedelics and they actually feel that and sometimes you need the extra serotonin boost or whatever that you know chemical is which highly linked to serotonin that actually makes you understand that which is why hippies you know act the way they do but I mean if you had that similar experience you would also act that way I don't mean you specifically but Mm -hmm. the general person but injustice man it's like when something is happening to someone who's powerless when the powerful or the empowered do something to the powerless that just like they can't do anything and it's making their life so much worse. I can give you a story. Do you want to hear a story? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I have a few stories. So one story I have is me, Nadim, Nadim Nasser, and a few of our other friends that you don't know were um, doing like this hike in a mountain in Kyrgyzstan. Okay, so we're in Kyrgyzstan, which is in Central Asia, doing this hike in this. Random area, okay, like Nadeem Nassau was like, oh, it's it's so nice, like, let's go there, let's do a hike. It's supposed to be a five-hour hike or something like that, okay, so two and a half hours one way, two and a half hours back. We go two and a half hours, but the area that we wanted to go in that path, it was like there was a rock slide or something, so we couldn't go there, so we wanted to find another path. We go through this other path, we get lost, okay? Six hours in, we're trying to figure out where to go, sun setting. Two hours later, we're like, okay, we definitely don't know where we are. We don't have reception, but like we think we just gotta walk in this direction. It's pretty, it's like relatively dark now, not like super dark like this, but like you can see, but it's, it's dark. Then, so we're with, by the way, we're with two females. Okay, and these two females are in their hiking gear, which is for them, they have relatively short shorts. Like, it's normal here, but Kyrgyzstan, it is not normal to wear shorts up to your, you know, midway through your thighs, right? But they're just like the normal Lululemon shorts anyone wear here in the tank top. But we're in Kyrgyzstan, okay? <laughs> so there's this truck that comes and we see it in the distance. And we're like, oh fuck, because this truck is an army truck and there are people on the back of that truck, okay? Like probably in the front seat, there's like two people. And then in the back of the truck, there's like maybe 10. Okay, and the truck's coming. And like, we can see the truck. The truck can see that there's like a small group of people up there, right? So in total, there's like five, me, Nadim, Nadim Nasser, those two girls. I think that was, I think it was us five. If I remember correctly. And eventually, you know, like a few minutes later, the truck gets to us and stops. And we don't know what to do at this point because we're lost. We need to get back. Phone's not working, no reception. Do we ask them for help? What do we do? Do we ignore them? But they stop and they're like, What are you doing? And we're like, Well, we got lost. And then, by the way, there's, there's no English conversation happening here, right? It's in it's in uh, a different language. I think it was in Russian. Wow. Or a mix. Anyways, Nadim Nasser knows like a tiny bit of Russian. So there's like the most broken charades conversation happening. But they basically tell us, get in the truck. And like, we can't, what are we supposed to say? No. Like, it was like a, more force of like, get in type of thing, right? Not please get in this truck, get in. So what happens? The guys are pushed into the back, the two girls in the front. And we're like, oh shit, what is going to happen here? Like they're wearing like the short shorts, the tank top. And we start thinking like, what's going to happen? Where are they going to take us? Like, are they in danger? So we're driving now in this Jeep for 10 minutes, 10 minutes go by about about 15 minutes now. Like we're in the back, right? For, for the 10 minutes, like bumpy, the soldiers are like looking at us, they say something and they start laughing. And we're like, we don't know what they're saying at this point, right? Like, are they planning something? Are they saying something about us? Or are they just like joking around? We have no idea. So at this point, like we're all pretty helpless. Like there's literally nothing we can do at this point, right? And we, 15 minutes later, we get to this camp and the soldiers get out. They tell us to get out. And this whole time, like this is the longest, like 15 minutes ever. We don't know what's going to happen with these girls. We don't know that if the, if we get out, these guys are going to take the girls somewhere else and we're going to go somewhere else. If they did that, there's literally nothing we could do. Like we're in Kyrgyzstan and these are soldiers. Like, what are you going to do? Call the cops? (laughs) Like, at this point we're like, we're just like praying and hoping that nothing happens to these girls. But just for a second, just imagine that feeling that like two of your close friends are in that situation. They are probably thinking that. We don't know, we're not seeing them and we're all thinking what's gonna happen to them. And at that moment, like those moments is like you, you have the powerful and the powerless, right? And you don't know what's going to happen because there's no certainty in those situations. Now, in, in this case, it turned out to not be a bad situation. And like, we were so relieved after that. We got the, they introduced us to like the the head of the camp, the head of the camp spoke a little bit of English. We got in a car and they took us to where we needed to go. And like, It was amazing. It was literally best case scenario. But there was at at those moments, seeing the truck, being in the truck, the girls being forced to the front, us being forced to the back, the soldiers laughing, staring at you, like all of that stuff. Like you have no idea what's happening. Right. And if something did happen, let's just say something happened. That would be what I would say is like that injustice, right. Where you're just so powerless, you can't do anything. And that exists in so many places. Just because we didn't get there doesn't mean every other situation like that ended up like ours, right? Like that is important. That is so important. Another example of one injustice that I experienced and in the moment was just like crazy was when I was leaving Tajikistan. So a few years earlier, I went to Tajikistan. And my brother and I, and and Nadim Masha actually, because Nadeem was working in Tajikistan at this time, were consulting with this organization to build early childhood development centers across Northern Tajikistan and Badakhshan, and to do an evaluation of the current centers and all these things. So stuff happened. I mean, there's a lot of things that happened. There's lots of stories. I'm gonna skip all those, but I'll just go to the very end where we're leaving at the airport. It's three in the morning. Taxi drops us off at the airport. Upon getting into the door, they ask for your passport. So Nadim gives him his passport. They're like, okay, he goes, I give him my passport. He takes my passport, he's like, come upstairs. Or he just like points, you know, like no English, just like, hmm, <laughs> follow him, we go upstairs. I'm like, what the hell's going on? He sits me, opens the door to this room. We get to the top of the stairs, there's this room. We turn in, he sits me on the chair. It's me, there's this guy in this desk, just like two meters away. And he has a computer and he's watching like these like YouTube videos or something. (laughs) The guy gives that guy my passport. That guy opens his drawer, puts my passport in it, closes his drawer, continues watching YouTube videos. I'm sitting in this chair. Half an hour goes by 45 minutes goes by one hour goes by Steven. I'm sitting in this chair. Like what the hell is happening? Nadim is downstairs. Like where the hell is my brother? meanwhile i'm watching this guy for an hour watch some of his shows on a youtube video on youtube or whatever my passport's sitting in that drawer at this point my the flight's gonna leave soon like it's it's about to board you know we came a little bit early because obviously uncertainty the flight's about to board and i'm looking at the time because there's this clock like tick tick and i'm staring at this freaking clock for one hour thinking what am i doing right like zero power here. This guy has my passport. We're in the airport. Obviously there's something shady going on here. So I'm trying to get this guy's attention. He's just flat out ignoring me. Doesn't care. I'm an ant at this point. So what do I do? I've been in similar situations before. So I get out my wallet without him seeing. And I start like moving the big bills into the smaller pocket. I've probably got a couple hundred in my wallet. Move on the big bills in the smaller pocket. Then I keep a little bit in the big pocket. And then I started like saying, like, money, money. Like, and I showed him my wallet. I was like, passport, take, you know, like that type of thing. A few minutes later, he takes me outside. So we we go out, we get out the door, we turn, and there's this balcony. We get on the balcony, and he's like, hmm. And this other guy at that point comes up from downstairs and he's watching. And he speaks some English. So he's like, he wants you to give him money. And I was like, So should I give it to him? Because I'm like, are you also in this? Or are you gonna <laughs> like this like corruption here? He's like, Yeah, you should give him the money. I'm like, oh, like, okay, like my flight's literally leaving. And they obviously planned this to like the last minute. I take all the money, open my wallet so they can see, I take all the money in there and just give it to them. And obviously they have this disappointed face. Cause it's like $40 maybe. <laughs> and then he gives me my passport he's like, go like in the most like rude way. Like I'm literally a dog. Like go. And so that guy that came up, he's like, follow me. So I go down. I'm like, man, obviously you guys planned this. Like how did this guy come up at the exact same time that, you know, all this stuff's happening. The deem sees me, he's like, holy shit, where the hell were you? I'm like, man, you don't even know what the hell, like, I don't understand what was happening. So now we go, we check in, because it's just, we were just outside the airport, I went upstairs, there was no check-in, no nothing, go, like, I had to do the check-in. Then there's this other place where you have to go through, get your passport stamped after you check-in, you go through this area. It's like a customs, but it's like so small, like there's no customs, like the check-ins there, and this like booth is here and you go through the booth. Who's the guy at the booth? The guy that came upstairs to get me. So I go through the booth. What does this guy do? Money. <laughs> I was like, I gave all of that guy my money. You saw me. How much money am I supposed to have? And like, I just kind of said it like that. I gave that guy all my money. If you want money, just go take it from that guy. He has all of my money. And he's just like with a disappointed face, like,
0: whoa.
1: Right. We caught the plane. We flew out of there. And I'm like, I don't want to come back to this country. For that hour, I was sitting upstairs. Zero power. I could do zero things. And my situation was I just had to catch a flight. Can you imagine the situations people go through where they have zero power? Like, rape is probably more than, like, thousands of times worse than that. And in that moment, I was, like, so upset, so frustrated, so, like, belittled as a human, all of these things. And it didn't matter who I was. It didn't matter. I was running AirPost at the time. I was, like, you know, building this company, like, my, my mentors were like the CSIO of Yahoo and all these amazing people. That mattered zero. Nothing mattered. Who I was, what I was doing, where I was from, my, my education level, none of that stuff mattered. I was just an ant. And at that moment I was like, first of all, I never wanna be in that situation ever again. But how many other situations are w- much worse than that for other people? You have human trafficking. You have um, a, um, maternal abuse, like abusing wives, abusing your daughters. There's so many things that happen that's far worse than my situation. And in my situation, I was so pissed. But like, it's nuts just thinking about it, just thinking about how many other people live that day to day. How many wives get beat day to day? How many daughters get just like abused or told what to do or sold off into marriage at 13, 15 years old. And then what happens when they get married? Probably just get raped by that husband who's triple their age, double their age or whatever it is. Hmm. And there's probably so many things I'm not even aware of, but like, to me injustice, which pairs a lot with suffering is the most important thing, but like, how do you get rid of that? Like, how do we do that? What do, what can we do? What can we do? Right.
0: Yeah. There's a lot that we, yeah, that we can try. Um, I want to try to make a distinction with you. So there is injustice among humans and I feel like that's uniquely different than injustice in nature. Like I feel like nature and evolution kind of naturally is unjust in a lot of ways, right? You have, parasites that burrow into the brains of insects and control them you know before they die which i'm sure causes a ton of suffering for those organisms and in a sense it makes them powerless and you could interpret it as also unjust but there's a certain sense of like naivety that we afford them we say you know well that's a natural system it's not like they are consciously doing something bad despite being able to do something else. This is just part of their natural life cycle. So we kind of like give it a pass in a sense. Would you say that there's like, it's especially bad in humans because we aren't naive. You know, we kind of have the knowledge. We know that we are doing something wrong. We're doing something bad that we don't have to be doing. And it's and and it's for that reason that human injustice has this kind of special place in your mind as like what is meaningful to do or to uh, change in the world.
1: That's not it it's because it's because I know that if I smacked you in the face and if you smacked me in the face, we would feel the same thing. If I flicked an ant, I wouldn't know how that ant would feel. I wouldn't know that the ant even gets hurt. I don't even know if an ant can feel. I don't know if a fish can feel. Goldfish lose their memories every, what, one minute, 10 seconds? <laughs> like, I don't know what a tree feels. I don't know what a seagull feels, but I know what you're gonna feel. And that's why it's so important. That's why, because I actually know, and you know, that you know what suffering feels like because you could go through it. You can't go through what an ant's going through. You can't go through what a whale goes through when a parasite goes in their brain or whatever. You don't know. For all we know, like they're just robots basically. Like they don't feel it just happens and life goes on. And that's what we choose to believe. Otherwise we'd be going crazy, you know, and the people that do go crazy are the ones that do choose to believe that the animals go through suffering. Just like, you know, I eat meat. Why do I eat meat? If I know that animals suffer because of that, because probably deep in deep down, I just believe that like, they they probably their suffering isn't I I can't relate to it, right? Or I can't understand it. And so I almost discard it, which is not a good thing. I mean, what is good? But I I would say if you ask me if it's good or not, I'd probably say it's not good. But I think those people really believe it deep down. They see the suffering, they feel the suffering. But in this case, it's so much easier for a human to feel suffering. We watch a movie and we cry, right? Why do we cry? Because we relate to it. We have that empathy. And so I don't think it's just about like, the concept of the injustice. It is a feeling of what happens in the injustice, the feeling you get, right?
0: So, OK. Um, uh, it's interesting to think of this as like, uh, are you familiar with uh, Sisyphus, you know the myth of Sisyphus? It's uh, this thought experiment of a guy just pushing a boulder up a mountain indefinitely. He gets it to the top rolls right back down, pushes it up again. You kind of hinted at the idea that this is kind of an intractable problem. We can make progress, we can improve culture, we can try to get in the way of injustices, but at the end of the day, it feels like one of those problems that is probably gonna be with humanity forever unless we change something fundamental in the genes that make up us, make us up as individuals. Like maybe we find a version of a human genome that we want to boot up in the entire society that fundamentally changes us from tribal greedy people to more, you know, like the superhuman that Nietzsche would have imagined.
1: Can you imagine how amazing that would be if if we had some sort of trait that was shared that amplified positive like positive things like helpfulness yeah. and express the negative things like violence yeah I mean it is proven that there are certain genes yeah. that express violence when expressed you know trigger violence there must be certain genes when, when expressed trigger you know helpfulness or community i mean that's a lot of the maternal you know stuff that's why a lot of women have the you know communal sense and like taking care of people right that so, has to be an expression, like we could edit that.
0: I, I would love to and I'd love to find that. But short of us, like what we're proposing here is pretty, you know, ambitious. It's like, let's modify the entire human genome. But short of that, then until we do that, it's going to be this wheel that we keep spinning. It's a Sisyphusian task. But and that's
1: changing. And that's what's interesting now. And the thing that's changing it is also the things that's that's hurting a lot of things in the economy and people, which is how connected we are with things like social media. So now with Twitter you can tweet a lie to millions of people or you can tweet an injustice to millions of people.
0: Yeah.
1: And the tweet itself is neither good or bad the ability to tweet but how it's taken and the actions can result in a negative or positive reaction. And so one interesting thing here is What if you, I mean, we can solve it. So I don't think it's the, oh, it's, you know it's just gonna keep cycling. No, I think there is a solution. Like one solution could be, is there a way where you could communicate with the people that have the injustice? So first of all, let's do a one way communication. Give them the education that, hey, you don't need to have this injustice. You don't have to accept it because a lot of people accept their injustices. Why? Why was Martin Luther King a minority of people that spoke up? Why wasn't it everyone that spoke up way earlier? Because a lot of people likely accepted the injustice. I mean, there could have been other reasons. I don't know. I wasn't there. (laughs) That's maybe one of them, right? But let's just educate people that you you don't have to accept it. But now let's give a second communication channel back. So if someone does have that injustice, they can communicate it somewhere. And then now, what's the third layer? Let's build a, like a cause and effect layer, right? So it's the cause now, like, what well, can you, what's the effect now? Like maybe now there is some sort of institution or person or something that can do something about that. I mean, good thing we have something called the police, mm-hmm. or the government. Now it sucks if the government is the one doing the injustice, but then that is a problem that maybe we can try to solve over time with more communication and more transparency. But in this particular example, it seems like technology is one of the gateways to that. right? And so for all the people that don't have the technology, which gives them the communication channel to learn that their injustice is not okay, then you don't have to be okay with it, and then give them the technology to communicate back out to an entity or people or organization that can do something about it, because the whole point is they're likely powerless in their injustice. Yeah. That is a potential solution. Yeah. I think it could happen.
0: Okay, so get drilling down deeper into this question of purpose. I like to analogize humanity coming into existence as like a messy birth, right? It's like, there's a baby there, there's like something of great value that could grow into a much grander thing that we all agree is worth uh, encouraging and pursuing. And eventually it'll be much better. But right now there's blood and guts and it's messy and the mother's crying and the baby's crying and things are all wrong, right? So We've had a much better world over time. You know, Steven Pinker, if you read Enlightenment now, uh, 100 years ago, life was just uh, objectively way worse, and it's getting better and better. So through technology, as you're saying, as a gateway, whether we do something genetically to modify humans or, you know, social media and communication and governments getting better, like eventually, we should reach a point, let's say it's 100 years from now, maybe 500 years from now for being a little more pessimistic where we've achieved what feels kind of like an okay stage where we're kind of like, all right, you know, like there is still injustice, but it's very small. Most people have access to opportunity. Most people have access to, you know, it feels like it's within reach. And if it didn't feel like it's within reach, then we wouldn't try. So I think you, you would agree with that. What do we do then? Or like, do you disagree that it is even on the horizon for us to, to solve the problem And and then I guess as a follow-up, it's like, if purpose, if right now we feel very purposeful because there is this kind of like, the blood is everywhere, right? The the birth has happened and we've got the blood to uh, clean up. There's this discordance in society. It's suffering and injustice. As long as those things exist, we have purpose, which is kind of nice, right? We have a thing to work on that we feel purposeful doing. But once that is cleaned up and once that is done, what is the thing that we now all do together with our newfound opportunity and newfound, you know, uh, capability to do what we want with it. Now that everybody has less injustice, everybody's empowered. What do we do then?
1: My personal thought is that second thing I mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, which is knowledge, discovery, knowledge, creation. And so now let's use our brains to unlock the universe, to do more things. And I think then we can just, just focus on the exciting stuff. Now we don't have to focus on like, you know, if, if we're at zero, now let's just go up. We don't have to focus on like bringing all of this up to here. Cause I mean, if we were about the diagram, it's like, there's all this bad stuff. So like, let's minimize this and maximize this. And this is all like, you know, invention, knowledge, discovery, all of those pieces. So I would just focus on, on that, on that side.
0: But invention and knowledge discovery towards what? Just for its own sake?
1: Yeah, that's that's the point. Like you don't need it towards what? You can, It's the purpose in and of itself is to explore it, to use it. And then that's the thing with curiosity. And then you can find purposes for it. Like the laser, why do we have <laughs> no one to invent a laser? It just happened out of curiosity. And now we use it in so many different ways. No one knew we could use the concept of a laser to, to fix people's eyesight. That's nuts. Yeah. But now we do it.
0: Um, okay, follow up then. Uh, maybe like uh, slightly unrelated, but related. Uh, do you think if in 20 years, a bunch of people are putting down mortgages, not for homes, but for trips to Mars, are you going to be one of the people who are tempted to do that? Or do you feel like because we still have enough issues in the world around injustice, that it is not worth yet becoming a pioneer in that way.
1: I think everybody has their priorities. And for me, like I already have everything. I I literally have everything I want. And I have multiple moments where I'm just like, I'm good. Literally have everything. When I was in, <clears throat> when I was in Panama on an island, picturesque. If you Googled paradise Island, that is where I was. And I was just like, what else is there? Like I have it all.
0: Mm.
1: And, you, and this is what I know. When you have felt the deepest level of gratitude, you know that because the reaction is I need to help other people now. There's no more me. There's no more I. Now it's about like, how, do, how can I help other people? My attention is on other people, not on me. Like I got everything, yeah. there's literally nothing else. So I'm in Panama thinking that. Then I was in the Dominican last month. I was literally again in paradise, another type of paradise, like best foods, best beaches, best temperature great music, healthy, no problems, zero problems. And I'm like, I could do anything right now. I have money. I have friends. I have great weather. I have health. I have my intellectual ability. I could do anything. That in itself just gave me so much gratitude that was like, I shouldn't use that just for me. I need to use that to eliminate suffering, or to mitigate injustice, or to maximize knowledge, creation, and invention, and all of those things. Like, that's what I want to do. That's what I should do. And that's the way where it's like, you feel so much gratitude that that's how you reciprocate it, right? Like, if I if I bought you dinner, you're going to feel like, oh, like, that's so nice. I'm going to get you back next time, right? Like, next next one's on me. I want to reciprocate that when you feel the most level of gratitude from the world that the world just gave you everything, how do you reciprocate that back? You literally reciprocate it with your life. You're like, I will give everything back to you. And that, that is the trait of the happiest people in the world. It is the people that aren't actually living for themselves. And people might disagree with me, but I I just know, because I've experienced it. And I know also from data points that the people that are focused on their own happiness are the least happy. The people that think about themselves the most are the least happy. Because they're thinking about their wants and their desires. They're thinking about, I want those shoes. I wanna eat that meal. I want these feelings, these dopamine feelings. I want this thing. I need more friends. I don't have any, it's all. I, 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 I want a better job. I want more money. I want this. I want that. And you think in the pursuit of the I that you become happier in that pursuit. That is not true. You become less happy in that pursuit, how you become happy is you stop thinking about the I and you just focus on everything else outside of you. You focus on helping other people. You focus on solving a problem. You focus on understanding something interesting. You focus on being obsessed with how something else works. The the less you are inward thinking and the less I thinking you are, the more happy you're going to be.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. Um, Do you think there are aliens out there? (laughs) Uh, So obviously the likelihood is that there are. Um, Are you one of the people that have like thought about this? Do you think there's like an interesting theory for why we haven't met extraterrestrial intelligences when we look out through our telescopes? We seem to be the only ones in the universe. Do you have an opinion on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's highly likely that there are other things out there that can move? <laughs> Bacterial life, yeah. Bacterial life, beings as big as the planet Earth, like, is possible in all of these ways. And it's also highly possible that in this period, from human, from Homo sapiens, let's just say 50,000 years ago to now, because Two hundred thousand years ago was the first Homo sapien, but like we don't have anything documented, so it yeah. could have happened then. But let's just say fifty thousand years ago to now, it's such a small window of time to say like, oh, why haven't aliens come? Is like, like, why isn't it raining right now? Like I don't know. Like it's just it's mm. it's a small period of time, you know. It doesn't make sense. So like, it, it could have happened a hundred thousand years ago. It could have happened a hundred million years ago. It could happen a hundred million years in the future. If time is this infinite thing that just is, we've just labeled it as something. Let's say it just is, let's say it's a, let's say it's just this infinite picture. And we're this dot right here. Yeah. What if aliens, aliens are all of this and all of this. And we're just in this dot right here.
0: Yeah. 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 I guess the bigger question is why don't we look out through the Hubble and see gigantic structures in other solar systems? Because we can see hundreds of thousands of other solar systems they don't need to have come to us in this period of time it's like even looking out there are no dyson spheres you know giant feats of engineering that we can detect it seems like we're entirely alone um which is both scary and i don't know it's scary either way whether we're alone or if there's something else out there that is smarter than us yeah and along the lines of something else that's smarter than us um there's this whole popular simulation question. I know I'm going through a lot of the kind of like standard podcast questions now for something like a Lex Friedman podcast, but uh, I'm just curious. I haven't heard your answers on some of these things. Uh, What's your thought on us being in a simulation? I think everybody agrees that it's like more likely than not, but there are some consequences to the whole thought experiment for people that uh, kind of go either way.
1: It's kind of like the determinism thing. Hmm. It is the same, it's basically the same thing, but it's like, there's there's very little benefit to acting that way. Right. Whether it's true or not, the system was probably built to not be able to know. So you can't even comprehend it. And if I built a video game and I built the character and I just coded that the character couldn't get past this wall, well, the character would never just get past the wall because I coded it that way. And so if we were in a simulation, we were coded a certain way, it's just impossible for us to get past the wall. And so it's like, okay, the fact that we even think this way means we were allowed to. But then what? Like, there's no benefit in, in going down that rabbit hole. But there is benefit in believing we're not in a simulation. There is benefit in thinking the alternative. And so there, I kind of decouple a lot of these thought experiments to like, likelihood but then value what's the value in believing it or or acting like it's true and then what's the likelihood that it's true so likelihood yeah it's likely it's highly likely is there value for me to act that it that it is true no so i so i won't do that because it just it won't be net benefit for me
0: So you're in a unique situation as somebody that encourages a ton of people to work on emerging technologies, one of them being AI. Um, And a bunch of leading thinkers, Stephen Hawking, Elon Musk, are like, in a weird way, afraid of its development. They at least warn people that it's something that we should really keep our our eye on. Are you more in the Zuckerberg camp, where you think it's like, well, let's develop it anyway, and likely nothing really bad is gonna happen. And if you really talk to the engineers, they think we're decades away from something like general artificial intelligence and uh, any kind of Terminator-like day. Um, What do you think? Is that really worth even investing ethical thought into, or is it more or less hyped up as an interesting thought experiment, but realistically, we're nowhere near that kind of capability to generate something that will uh, oust us, usurp humans ourselves?
1: All it takes is one instant and one use case for a technology to ruin everything. Just like the atom bomb. It just takes one use case of the science to wipe a whole city out. And that is what is going to happen with AI. It's just inevitable. Hmm. It is the most inevitable thing. But now here's the thing. Can you stop it? No. Why can't you stop it? One, because there are too many incentives to progress AI. There's way too many. So what does people like Elon do? They think, okay, I understand that there's so many incentives. So let me at least build the top organization and try to control it because it's inevitable. Right. But then you can't really do that because there's going to be other people out there that are going to build off of it, do other things and whatever. So now it's just like, okay, we know it's going to be inevitable. Let's at least just try to do as much we can right now to make the world a better place for those that care about it. Like I'm guessing Elon cares about that. And then when someone does screw it up, it's going to suck. But like, it's Like it is what it is. Like you can try your best to prevent it, but there's just too many incentives and too many like, what's the word, like too many potential ways for someone, just one person to do it.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you're kind of on the side of adaptation in a sense. Like I have a similar attitude towards global warming, climate change, right? I think like it's kind of inevitable that we're going to push more parts per million of CO2 in the atmosphere and we're going to get to increased temperature. The game isn't to try to like limit it to zero because that's probably nearly impossible based on the history, but the game I think is adaptation. Um, And maybe there's a similar logic for AI. Like you're saying that the incentives are misaligned.
1: I'll tell you why it's totally different. Hmm. Because global warming is a problem that has a root cause. AI doesn't have a root cause. AI is just a technology that can be used. It's a tool. It's like writing. You can't like get rid of writing now or the English language. Like it just is now. Now it's a tool and people can use it. I can say something that, make you, that can hurt your feelings or I can say something that makes you smile. It's just a tool. AI is the same way. Global warming is different because if I create or stumble on a piece of knowledge that helps me convert carbon in the air into water or not water, but like a diamond or something and I can figure out a way to carbon sequester extremely effectively at low cost at scale, I can solve global warming. I don't need to adapt. There's option C here. And I do think that if you had smarter people that were incentivized to actually figure out how you reverse the carbon from the atmosphere, that there is a probability that we could figure that out. I don't know how high that probability is, but I do think it's more than zero. And Because it's more than zero, there's an option C that we actually can solve the problem with technology with knowledge but at this pace when we're planting freaking trees that literally do nothing literally nothing yeah and that's where the hype is okay we're going to have to adapt or we're just going to die because you have millions of people trying to plant trees like idiots what are trees going to do you know how many trees we cut down every year if we do the math and we google let's I'm going to Google this for you. How many trees are cut down yearly? So the number of trees are cut down yearly, according to ran.org, this is in 2017, that 3.5 billion to 7 billion trees are cut down per year. So who even know? In another study by mangabay.com, it says research says 15.3 billion trees are chopped down every year. So now we have anywhere from 3.5 billion to 15.3 billion, okay? So we have this crazy range, but we know it's minimum 3 billion. Now, how many trees are planted each year? Number of trees planted each year
0: There's different projects that are trying to plant different amounts.
1: Yeah, it's just like, I can't even find a clear number. Like I Google it, I can't even find a clear number. But let's just say there's a stat here. It's a very good stat, looks like. That 2.3 billion seedlings were planted in the United States by the forestry community. Okay, at this rate, let's say 2.3 billion. Let's say 10 billion but if we are cutting down 15 billion every year plus the extreme carbon that's emitted into the atmosphere and all these things there's no way we're going to solve this problem with tree planting unless unless you can genetically modify a tree to increase you know
0: I've also heard that there's not enough arable land, like you just can't find enough land to plant enough trees. It's not like there's a no upper cap to the total number of trees that you can plant. And it takes a long time. And even if the entire world's arable land was covered with trees, we still have to reduce the amount of carbon we put in the atmosphere. So yeah, there there might be some process genetically where we could modify the trees to soap up carbon better, but
1: um, it takes about 30 years for a tree to grow. If it takes 15 years for a tree to go even, how useless are the trees that we're planting today? Because we only have like that much time anyways. So yeah. planting trees doesn't make any sense unless you can edit the tree to grow faster and suck up more carbon. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. What so plan- do is carbon sequestration?
0: You're still saying, though, that climate change, because it has a root problem, and it feels like there are adaptable ways that we can use technology and innovation to tackle it. It doesn't feel like an intractable problem. It feels like a problem that we really could tackle, whereas the AI problem, that one is just a tool that's coming. It's kind of inevitable, and that one, it seems like you're almost, um, I don't want to say pessimistic about, but you are uh, you've, uh, given in, you have, you, you've come to terms with the idea that, you know, potentially in 50 years, there will just be an AI that is released to the world and it might destroy everything. And that one you're like, it that's is, possible.
1: It's really beneficial to believe that. Let me run through the scenarios. So yeah. first of all, though, it's like, it's like someone that has, a, that's selling lemonade on the street. And they have like the place where they have the money and there's a million dollars sitting in there. And it's a 15 year old kid. Someone's going to steal it mm-hmm. on a busy street with a 15 year old kid. If there's no cops, someone's going to go and steal that money. It's a million dollars. What is, what's a 15 year old kid going to do? If someone walks up with a gun and takes it, it's just probability. Yeah. Yep. If, you use AI, if you could use AI to start a nuclear war or worse than that, like there's, probably a lot of bad things that we could do, steal money, whatever the case is. It's gonna happen because there's some incentives there and there's crazy people in the world because we don't teach the right mindsets early on. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, let's say we don't believe that to be true, right? Well, now the systems we create are gonna be created assuming that AI is going to be well-managed. And if it isn't, those systems will get screwed because they weren't built in a way to safeguard. But now if you just assume that AI is gonna be used in a a bad way, right? whatever that means, in a bad way, in a negative way, now at least we can start thinking and planning and building the future with that in mind. Now the problem is not everyone just assumes that and so not everyone's building it like that. That's what I'm saying, it'd be in our best interest if we did because now it just at least makes it harder or decreases the probability from that to happen because now everything we're building is with that in mind. And that's, I think what Elon was initially probably trying to think about with open AI, but then now that they're like selling a bunch of stuff to Microsoft and like, just the way that they're doing it is probably not the way he envisioned, which is why he left it. I think um, it's just like, it's just another thing to show like, yeah, you can't control it. Like there's too many other short-term incentives that outweigh a long-term uncertainty. Hmm. And that's just how we, how we live, right? We have these long-term uncertainties that could be really bad, but we don't care about what happens in 10 plus years. We care about what happens in less than 10 days, right?
0: To circle back around to the beginning, um, we were talking about it's possible to solve the injustice problems that we care a lot about, um, whether that's like genetically, it's possible, technologically, Um, what if the reason when we spawn AI and it is smart and it looks at humanity and it has a similar reflect reflex to what you're having, you know, where you say meaning is getting rid of this injustice. And it reasons that the best way to do that is to replace what's going on with humans with a better version, a sort of next generation. And so it kind of makes us obsolete as the things that can't figure out our own issues. We continue cycles of suffering, We may be able to come to some solution, but who knows, we might have another world war sets us back and there will just be decades, potentially centuries of just suffering and injustice that keep going on. And the AI sees a way to actually execute on your mission, Naveed, your own desire to cut out injustice from the world. Would there not be a sort of feeling of like, ah, you know, um, sort of, okay, you know, while we may have cut humanity short, what we cared about wasn't like humans for humanity's sake. We recognized that we were imperfect in the first place. We know that there's something that's going to be carrying on after us, a legacy of ours that is ultimately better. Like it forms its own society that doesn't have these injustices and doesn't have the same issues that we have. Would we feel a sort of like proudness that that is what we birthed?
1: Who is Naveed?
0: (laughs) Right. So we asked that too.
1: Like, what does it matter? Like, why, why do we have such ego to even think that?
0: But that's what I'm getting at. Like, then wouldn't you be happy with it replacing us?
1: Why would I be happy? Why would I be sad? It's just like, why does it matter? Like, I'm not that important. My opinion is not that important. My belief that if an AI replaced this or did that is like, It's just, it just is, it's like, I'm just so inconsequential that what is the value of me putting emotion behind a potential reality that just, I would never be impacted by.
0: I mean, it would impact you because it would, I mean, at some point you'd have to come to terms with the fact that it's gonna, it's coming to get you.
1: I'm gonna die. Yeah. But when I'm dead, nothing matters. Like, it just, it doesn't matter.
0: So then it if would it be cool. Sorry, you would be indifferent.
1: If, if it won't give me suffering. Hmm. And just to like, really understand what you're saying. You're saying if an AI came and completely replaced you,
0: Uh, you but all of humanity right like it it, over the course of a year or two years or whatever it found a way to like eliminate people and replace them with its own you know ai versions of better you know more intelligent uh consciousnesses or existent, whatever
1: basically like just humanity fades off and
0: yeah it finds a way to phase out humanity and phase in a next generation of consciousnesses
1: yeah it's like it's an interesting it's an interesting thought it's a fun experiment but Should I care is the question Mm. back to the same thing. Does it add value for me to believe that or to feel a certain way? The same thing with the determinism piece, right? The same thing with the simulation piece. Like that's the model that I use when I decide what to put emotional energy into and what I, how I decide to choose the actions that I have for the rest of my life. And for that, it's, It just leads me to ask, okay, well, what will benefit me believing? Well, it won't benefit me to even really think about it much at all, because if it does, and if it eventually solves injustice, cool. But if it doesn't happen, and if it doesn't do that, then I should probably just keep trying to do what I'm doing.
0: Okay. You've been really generous with your time. I want to just ask you one final question uh, for this. Um, What do you think happens when you die? I just think,
1: like. It's over. Yeah, when you. For, yeah, I'm just very like, I'd rather believe that to be true. Why? Because if it is true, I can just leave my life thinking, let me just do the best I can now. I mean, I guess there are other paths. I think that, I guess there is value to believing in afterlives and things like that. Yeah, I think the more rational side of me just believes that all of the experiences that I'm having right now is just based off of things happening over here. And once this thing, there's no activity at all, no signals at all, then anything I experience then, if I do experience it, first of all, it won't be an I. And second of all, it won't be anything like the experiences that I'm having right now because none of this will exist in whatever experience that will be. So I can't even comprehend it
0: and so it doesn't even, yeah. Nice. One thing that I think I've learned from you um, and that I've adapted is this kind of like, often allow yourself to say that something doesn't matter and therefore you don't need to put more thought into it. So it's kind of this distinguishing between the things that matter and will make an influence on you, whatever the thought experiment is, whatever the, the situation and the things that do matter. Um, so I thank you for that. That is definitely a valuable way to... Uh, optimize what you think about and what you, uh, put mental resources into.
1: It's, it's, don't get me wrong. It's fun to think about <laughs> that experiment. So like, of course, I've thought about all the things that we've talked about today, or at least most of them, but you se- I separate the two, right? So like, yeah, let's have the discussion. Let's go into the, the rabbit hole. Let's think about those things. But if you're asking me like, what do I think about it? Or like, how do I feel about it? then that's like a separate piece. But if we want to go into discussion, like what do you think could happen? What would be the implications? What would happen next? Hmm. Okay, cool. Let's have fun talking about those pieces. But how I choose to live my life based on that, like I'd rather decouple.
0: Naveed, it's been a pleasure. I'm going to say, I'm putting her right back on.
2: <laughs> you ask the question, what do you think happens after you die? Yeah. I what is any reason to suggest that something does happen after you die? Like that's even a question to ask if computer breaks, it breaks, right? A yeah, play crashes, it crashes. There's no reason, like, there's no reason to suggest that anything else happens because of whatever the apparent outcome is. Yeah. Apparent outcome is the apparent outcome. Why do you think that this is even a, a, a question we should be thinking
0: about a couple a couple of responses there so i love the way nietzsche thought about this he came up with this idea of eternal recurrence so and i think this is actually like potentially plausible if the universe is infinite in space and time it's possible that things repeat it's possible that at an infinite point the seemingly infinite point in the future everything that happened in our lives happens exactly the same way again so what happens when you die is that instantly. An infinity passes basically, and you're just reborn into your exact same situation and you live the exact same life over again forever.
2: Okay, well then <clears throat> I guess the question that you gotta ask yourself is what is, it, what is identity? Because you talk about how you are reborn, but if, if you just put that collection of atoms together, yeah. like whatever subatomic particle you wanna use, is that you? So for example, if I clone you and I kill you, is that you? or is that somebody else?
0: That's a really good question. And it could be that the nature of consciousness is that it doesn't just have to be every single atom that's the same. It has to be the ex- entire end-to-end experience that's the same as well. It's possible.
2: Well, yeah, this is where we got to go deeper because you were talking about Nietzsche's idea where after infinity passes, you're born uh, and you kind of-
0: Just relive the whole thing again.
2: But so when you say you, you kind of tie that in with consciousness. Yeah. Are you saying that that consciousness stays intact or after an infinite period of time, the consciousness is just made up of a bunch of these subatomic, sub-atomic particles? Because and, and, that matters. That matters because, yeah, sorry, go
0: ahead. No, 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 totally. So I, I profess ignorance in this case, like I do not know. I'm just, I just say that like, we don't, we also don't know with certainty that it is nothingness forever.
2: Let me, let me say another thing. Are you religious? No. Okay. You know how there's this argument, I forget what the exact nature or the exact term of this argument, but it's uh, if there's a zero point zero 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 one percent chance that God exists and that there is an eternal afterlife or something like that, uh, then you should believe in God because you take that small percentage and you multiply it by eternity or whatever, right? but for some reason, intuitively, it doesn't resonate with you, right? Um, and there are some like mathematicians and scientists and philosophers who break that down and, and, and talk about why that is an unfair argument or why that's not as reasonable of an argument. Whenever you do anything with infinity, it feels a similar, like a similar type of argument. Because if you're saying Nietzsche's thought experiment was if you take it to infinity and, so, you know, if, if you had an infinite amount of time, it's possible that all these things will come back. It's a, To me, it feels like a similar argument in principle, unless you can also help break it down. So then it might be helpful to think about it's like, oh, like, okay, well, if I'm kind of discarding this idea, that argument around religion, and if, then if I discard this idea about Nietzsche, then it comes back to the question that, I, if you believe that's true, if you believe there's similarities, and if I come back to the question, why are we even asking this in the first place? I feel like there has to be, Another alternative that titillates you.
0: You're 100% correct. I think I go back to... Um, the very wise Socratic thing, which is that like, we should just admit how little we really know about what's going on, right? Like it's a grand mystery why there is something rather than nothing. Like it's possible that there could just be, there just been nothing at all. No earth, no existence, no universe, nothing forever, like just nothing. Why is there something? Like the fact that we don't even have a possible inkling as to how to answer that shows how ignorant we are as people. And so then like, we have to at least-
2: in and my, my point of the question, my point of the question is like, why does there even have to be a why? So you talk about like, why does something exist versus not exist? No. Like, why did- Or why, why do the why? There a meaning or a purpose, like, you know, the, <clears throat> the, the universe could have existed. Say the universe always existed, okay? <clears throat> Let's just assume that as a premise. The universe could have existed with something in it, or it could have existed with nothing in it,
0: Mm-hmm.
2: okay? From just like a probabilistic perspective, it feels like, I obviously don't know, I'm not, you know, the puppet master, if there was a puppet master, it feels like there's a 50-50 chance that the universe could have existed with something in it or nothing in it. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, say it did exist with something in it <clears throat> already, and then all of these just things happened. Again, why does there have to be a why if the, you know?
0: You're right. I guess the, the question is more like a how. It's like, how is it the case that there is something rather than nothing?
2: But so to your point, I think you mentioned that I think we have to admit ignorance and you know we're not qualified. But it's still I think interesting to explore because there's a lot of things that five hundred years ago humans would have thought was impossible to understand, and then through all these like little steps we understand them. So for anyone who values progress at all or even curiosity or, you know, that excitement feeling when you see like, you know, back in the day when we saw Avatar for the first time, we're like, holy crap, <laughs> graphics were amazing, right? You there's an emotional response to that, I think it's still worth exploring because it doesn't mean that we'll never get there. If we think it's futile, that's a different discussion. Then it's like, I mean, then it literally is just a different discussion, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just like, it's, it's not about something doesn't matter, it matters, but it's just interesting to think about why we even think some of these questions even need to be asked. Uh, but not in the why, like like we shouldn't explore them. Like, like I just talked about what happens after death. To me, it feels like, like what-
1: It's kind of like what I was saying before about you split into two categories. So like <laughs> there's the question and then asking, okay, what is the value in this question? And if there it's like high value, then there's high implication. If there's low value, then it's like, okay, fun thought experiment. But if we don't separate that, then it might get diluted into, you know, drawing up all the pieces, but not realizing that there's, there's no like high implication, but carrying a lot and dedicating a lot of energy into something that doesn't really
2: not like, like Sam Harris was on Clubhouse yesterday. And, whoa. He, was, and he was talking about, um, I, most people would agree that the idea of witches and magic is preposterous. <clears throat> but whenever someone talks about the idea of religion, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like that's, but to, him, but to him, it almost, it's the same thing. So to him, he has that intuition. Or, for example, whenever he, if he ever uh, criticized the caste system that's largely based on Hinduism, most people would agree that the caste system doesn't make any sense. He, he says that I've yet to meet someone who's outside of the caste system can, to make an argument for why the caste system exists. <clears throat> Was if he made an argument for certain Muslim practices that were largely based on uh, the religion of Islam then he, get, he gets a lot of heat for it, right? And so again, to him, most of these things are the same. And so when we talk about you know, what happens after death, it, it's almost like this feeling for me, it's like, well, when I look at someone dying or like an animal dies or a computer breaks or just like things happen, it's like, again, what evidence is there to suggest that there is anything else or any sort of alternative than black? And if we think something else, just based on evidence, it feels almost preposterous. Now, if I got a new data point, amazing. Yeah. Imagine different data points and possibilities and to do all of these things. It's like, yes, it's possible, I guess. But for me, it's like, I think we got to do the best with whatever information we have, right?
0: You're 100% right. And I think for me, it's just like coming to terms with that. The fact that we popped into existence and the situation is that the thing that we think, like, that I care the most about anything that answer like that—that that is the thing You're that I would care the most to know. Death. Sorry, your whole thing. You—I
2: think we talked about this right at the, the cabin. You're scared of death.
0: Well, it, I don't know about scared. It's just like it feels like the most existentially important question. Like, what is your forever going to be? It is going to be a forever of nothingness. Shortly, like. That should be the most mind-boggling fact for anybody. And to me, the fact that we were born, and you're right, into a situation where we can't know really one way or the other, and we got to just kind of leave it to this kind of like, well, we can't know, so we shouldn't really like think more about it. It just feels preposterous.
2: Well, yeah, let's, let's do this. Let's dig deeper into this. Because for me, I don't feel that way. Yeah. For me, you feel that way. Like when I look at a cupcake and I'm about to eat it, I'm yeah. like, this is about to not exist anymore. I'm like, it's not crazy. It's about to go in my stomach. It's about to turn into something else. But I'm not looking at this, man. This cupcake once existed. It's about to not exist anymore. It's like, I guess because it's us, and we feel pain, and maybe we, maybe it's ego, right? We want to think that there's more to this. Otherwise, and maybe biologically we feel that way because otherwise we would go crazy, and maybe that's why we procreate, right? So again, if we think. A lot deeper. I'm curious. I'd be curious to understand why some people feel that way and some people don't feel that way. Because for me,
0: it's like ain't no thing but a chicken wing. You know what I mean? <laughs> ain't no thing but a chicken wing. Yeah, I like. Okay. Have you like really, really thought deeply about like it will be nothing forever? Like you will never ever come back forever, and there that will be it. Nothing forever and ever and you're that's it nothing like that that doesn't like resonate with you that doesn't oh did you end up watching episode eight of uh, midnight gospel Yep. Yeah. and did that did you cry like did you feel that kind of like sense of loss that sense uh, of like
2: well that wasn't on shrooms
0: so. <laughs> <laughs> makes a difference a different situation <laughs> but, um
2: no it was good i actually thought other episodes were like, the first episode, episode I actually thought was very, very interesting.
0: Oh, the meditation. Well, <laughs> I mean, he basically goes through meditation on all of them. But, like, it's the zombie one, right? Where he's, like, yeah. defending against... Yeah,
2: like, talking to the guy and whatever. Yeah. I forget exactly what the contents of the episode was, but I remember enjoying it, being like, huh. you know, I think I'm going to watch all of them instead of, huh. like... Hey, uh, yeah. let me say this. Like, I don't know to what extent, uh, so, like, based on your definition of deeply... I don't know to what extent that goes um I think I've thought about it for me it's like oh neat can't control like it is what it is can't control it's like yes there will be nothingness and I'll go black and it's like when I go to sleep like
0: when
2: you you wake up it's like cool but if you went to sleep and it's black and then stuff happens and life goes on it's like it's interesting for sure so don't get me wrong I'm like The, the concept of to be able to conceive of something and then to not be able to conceive of anything else ever as an individual is very interesting. Uh, but the emotional feeling or reaction that I get from it doesn't... Yes, it's, it's like, oh, this is interesting, but it's like...
0: It, quick follow-up. Quick follow-up I think would be interesting. So, like, people who are religious, they often, like especially priests or people who are just like deeply devoted they say well like we should care the most while we're alive on this plane on earth whatever about the afterlife because the afterlife is forever right and so of course it's going to matter way more so you can kind of get from their perspective like if there is going to be some sort of something forever you should care the most about it
2: if there is but like do you think that there is i mean we talked about how you don't believe in religion. Okay. So I, I get it if you believe in an afterlife because then it's not death,
0: yeah,
2: right. But if it if it is death and it is black, yeah, like that. It's like,
0: yeah, yeah, no. And I I would love to come to terms with it the way you have because and I have mental models for like not letting it bother me. But
2: but my I, I guess it's almost like scientific or it, the nature of my curiosity is almost one of science, which is why. Or, or I guess philosophy or psychology, whatever. Why do you feel that way? Again, like, is it ego of humans? Is it fear
0: of pain? Is it- FOMO. FOMO. Is that- FOMO. There's like eternal FOMO. Yeah, like there's going to be real interesting shit that happens. We just happen to be born on the cusp of like probably the next generation will get to live a long, long, long life. And they'll explore the moons of Jupiter and they'll explore the galaxy and some quantum physics-y thing that's like exciting and we don't even know about it.
2: What do you think is the root of FOMO? Now, like we bring it down like the eternal FOMO to like FOMO, I'm not going Regular. to place to, you know, hang out.
0: And Justin
2: yeah. walks in and you're like, what? <laughs> <Great> story. <laughs>
0: Uh, what is the root of FOMO itself? Uh, probably something like ego where it's like, it will add to your own, uh, opportunity call. I don't know how to describe it in simpler terms. It feels like a fundamental itself.
2: What if, what if it was entitlement? Like yeah. that, that, cause say that choice wasn't even afforded to you. You feel FOMO because you're like I could have been there. Yeah. But it's like I can't be everywhere, I can't have everything. So instead of being like, "Oh, neat that you guys are able to have that experience, maybe next time," versus FOMO is like, "Ah, I should be there." Like, what if I was there? But it's like, what if you didn't even have the chance to be there in the first place? You know? Yeah, like, all these interesting things in the future, it's like we're just it's a super low probability that we're even alive to begin with.
0: Yeah. You're right. Yep, that logic works totally. And uh, Shelley Kagan, this professor of philosophy who has a whole lecture series on death, you know, that was one of his arguments. And, you know, he's like, we get to be, there was a poet, he said, we get to be the sitting up mud, and we get to be the mud that sits up and does the sitting up thing. And then we don't sit up, like, we should just be like, eternally grateful that we even got to sit up at all ever. And that's that. Mm -hmm. You're right. You're not wrong. I, it's still bad. Like, I don't know. I don't know how to explain. I would love to sit down with a psychologist.
2: Yeah. I'm not the, the intention is to not like, <laughs> hear, hear, hear whatever on this call It's just interesting again, to to double click down the metadata and see
0: Yep. You're, and I, I'm so glad though. Like I have had this conversation with a number of different people who like the, there are these old school scientists at J labs who like are, you know, they're in the sixties. And I like had a similar conversation with them about death and my death, death anxiety. And and they're just like, no matter how it's explained, no matter what people do to like justify it, I feel like If we are able to get around it, and let's say we live 10,000, 100,000 years from now or something like that, you know, we might look back and be like, wow, everybody was like brainwashed in this weird way to just like accept death as like, you know, a thing that they either didn't care about or emotionally they were okay. And like, I'm so glad you were like a little bit thoughtful about it because like, look at all the shit we ended up doing.
2: Another thing: Do you think time matters? Like, what if you only had the opportunity to live for two days?
0: Uh... Yeah. I mean, so well, I mean, in that case, it's like two days of like a uh, conscious adult or two days of a baby, conscious yeah, two adult, days,
2: conscious adult, you got plopped in here two days.
0: Yeah, I would curse the universe. <laughs> I would say like, I didn't have a chance to build anything. Okay, so what if you live for 100,000 years? Right, yeah. So why is there really a difference if that's still a finite number compared to infinity? No, no,
2: no, not even, no that, that's not my implication. My implication is like, okay, so if it, if it bothered, I just want to test whether ah. time matters. Because if you're less, if you're, if by the end of the 100,000 years, you're not willing to curse the universe, then mm-hmm. it's like, well, maybe there's an enough. And yeah. I enough. And so maybe the way you feel this way is because maybe you don't feel like living to 90 is
0: enough. Oh, 100%. And then the older,
2: but then the older people you talk to, like the 60-year-olds are like, shit, yeah, maybe this is enough. <laughs> you know, like maybe older people when they get to that point, they're like, "No, nah, I'm good." Yeah. <laughs> we don't think it's enough now because we've only lived thirty something years. Right?
0: But I, but I think that's a very human thing. I think like sixty year olds, as a human living with human bones that get arthritis and stuff, like, and your mind start going like that. I get, but if you were like a healthy, happy, productive twenty something year old for a thousand years, I don't I do think you would... Think would. I actually think it's more than that because think about like your
2: first love or romance.
0: Hmm.
2: yeah it's probably probably hormones and stuff like that but it's it's different like there's a level of excitement your first kiss like novelty just in general there's a level of excitement your 10th one is like whatever you're healthy and stuff it's like you same shit is going on in principle like you're gonna get to this point where it's like same shit is going like you see innovation happen over and over and over again you're like yeah like you know if you live long enough to where the rate you, you've experienced a healthy level of rate of change hmm. you might get to a point where the rate of change for you isn't even as exciting because you've adapted to the nature of fast rates of change and then it's like what's the next thing and then you're like i don't know <laughs>
0: <laughs> i think the biggest. Uh, I don't know, external piece that throws a bone into this whole chain of logic is intelligence. Like we could get 10 times more intelligent to hundred times more intelligent. And there may be entirely new phenomena and entirely new things that we just can't even comprehend now that would be exciting and that would change our logic. Like we can re-experience naivety on the go and like a first love can feel like a first love after the hundredth. And it's like love isn't even like what we, you know we're just barely touching the iceberg of love. And like, really it could be this giant thing.
2: I agree with that but that's a separate point than what we were talking about how like i'm like an 80 year old might or might feel like it's enough and you're like how a healthy 22 year old might feel like it's enough yeah. So like, talking about the age thing but it's like nah i don't think it's a result of age because you could be that healthy because say the intelligence piece didn't change yeah.
0: it's just a,
2: it didn't change yeah my position was that there might be other reasons for why someone might be like it is enough and then this intelligent point is like, if you t- if were changing the parameters of the argument to say like, oh, but what if there's, what if you could add a spice of interesting? Oh, okay. Yeah. Then I feel like people think it's less.
0: Enough. I just, I just don't think this one is like, I'm throwing it at a left center. I think this one's like very possible. And like, it fuels the FOMO feeling, right? Like b- being 10 times more intelligent is genuinely something we might be able to access within a hundred years.
2: Okay, I mean, we could keep going down this. <laughs> like another, then, then the question that you could ask to tease this out is, okay, well, what if there wasn't a step change in intelligence for a thousand years? So you had to live 999 years of enough
0: of like, I would do it. Fuck this, right? Yeah, this temperament. Temperament plays a role here, right? There are just going to be some people who are like, temperamentally, I'm willing to do that just for that thousandth year where it's like banger. Like, dope, <laughs> yeah. that would be me. I'm
2: not. I'm not an invest guy. I'm like I'm a live in the moment guy. I'm not. I'm the one marshmallow guy. I'm, the, <laughs> no, I'm not. yo, know, but you know what's interesting
1: with that uh, the thing where desire is a contract of unhappiness you make with yourself. Mm. As soon as you have that mindset, yeah. you've actually made yourself worse. Your life worse because now you've said there is a future state that is better than my current state, and you've created this gap. Whereas, in what Nadim just said, he's like, well this moment, I just want to be the best moment. And so he's going to live here. Whereas the other person that's living for a future state is going to live here. Now their realities could be the same, but the way they interpret their realities are different and therefore the gap in their state. And so I think it just makes more sense to be this person. And even though someone has this belief though, and this desire for that future state in reality, they might just value that more. But if you actually said, if you value how you feel and if you value, I don't know how to word it, but just like a better state, which I think logically makes sense because why would you want to be living in a worse state for so long Right. Than living in a great state for an equal amount of time or sh- even shorter than when you want to choose that?
0: I got to go in two minutes, but I think the problem with that, you are correct. And that is like Eastern philosophy, right? Like B- Buddhism, essentially, right? What you're describing there. The problem with that, I think, is ambition. We're ambitious. We want better worlds. Like We cheer on Elon Musk, who's like, I want to be going to Mars. And we're not like, Elon, be happy with what you've got. You've got money. You can go to an island. Why are you trying to find this delta between the current Elon and the future Elon? Oh.
2: <laughs> you're me. You <laughs> we'll, we'll articulate it a little bit better and I'll explain it in, in like normal person terms. So the best state
1: for an ambitious person is mm-hmm. to be excited for the, the goal you're trying to achieve, but not create a gap between once that goal is achieved, everything will be better than the current status and so instead it should still be like this which is the current status is great and i actually enjoy working towards getting to that goal and when that goal is achieved i will also enjoy that and so i think that is the ideal place to be and like the Colloqu- uh, the you know, the saying is enjoy the journey, right? Like yeah. that's the easiest way to
0: put it. I just don't think that's incompatible with what I described. I would enjoy the journey all the way to year a thousand.
1: You just, you just, uh, we're going to rewind this recording because you just said, I would rather live 999 years of that suboptimal state for yeah. that one party. Right. I'm, I'm not using the right words, but you said that.
0: Yeah.
2: For the banger. Yeah. For the banger. Yeah. <laughs> And then another way to, to talk about that Elon point and Navi kind of addressed it was first of all Elon talked about ever since he was five years old his brain couldn't turn off mm. so just him living his life and we're all viewing it it's not a value uh, assignment to everybody would like because he he's just doing him presumably say he is um, and it's like we cheer on ambition but some a lot of people might not necessarily want to feel the burden of that ambition and and create that contract of unhappiness with themselves. Whereas, whereas he might just be like, this is what I need to do to keep myself sane. The second thing is, even if something pleasant, like say you do have a pleasant surprise, someone opens a door for you, you could open the door yourself. That doesn't mean you can't be pleasantly surprised if someone opens the door for you. So it's like, yeah, if someone else in the world wants to build rockets and go to Mars or whatever, cool, let's like cheer them on. But I would say most people, if that wasn't happening, they wouldn't be like, why isn't anyone no. going? <laughs> You know, it's like, yeah, when something good happens, TV show comes, good ice cream is available. It's like, I'm going to eat it. I'm going to enjoy it. It doesn't mean I got to be like, man, why isn't there hazelnut gelato? Isn't that an interesting
1: thought experiment? That if Elon wasn't doing what he's doing, nobody would want someone to do what he's doing. Or very few people. Like Like we wouldn't be like the the level of like excitement, desire, drive, support Mm. that we're giving to figures like Elon. It didn't exist that amount of like energy wouldn't imbalance like it's not like that that energy would be dedicated to like we need someone to go to mars we we need someone to help solve climate change or or build batteries or self-driving vehicles whatever the case is and so that's interesting so it's like there's all this energy that's just stagnant that doesn't go anywhere but then it's looking for a place to flow and once it you build something it flows and i think that's also like comparable to like Clubhouse, where it's like, what were people doing with their time before Clubhouse? Yeah, like everyone has calls now to just sit and listen to random people talk. What the heck were you doing before that? And everyone's like, I'm so busy.
0: Okay, I've got to go. This has been so awesome. You guys are great. I love that you came into team. <laughs> that was great. Um, this is gonna be an awesome recording.
2: When I was listening to it, I wanted to. I was gonna call you after and be like, Why do we need to even ask that question
0: the first place? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, guys. Great. I will post a bunch of these. I'm going to do these with a bunch of students. You guys are awesome. Bye.